Welcome, everybody. This is the next podcast of our series, The Matter of Perspective, geopolitical podcast series of Danube Institute. My name is Anton Benazewski, Director of Research of Danube Institute. And here with me, we have our research fellows. First of all, Fanny Korpic, Tomasz Orban, and David Nagy. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Welcome. We have a special topic for today, the question of uh, neutrality, which we'll discuss in the next minutes. And basically, the topic is also connected to our research project, which we started back in February. It's important to highlight the fact that we started the project before uh, the war started in Ukraine, before the Russian aggression started in Ukraine. And we try to uh, look into the opportunities and the status of all those countries which chosen neutrality as their state strategy. Strategy. And then the war started. So, of course, it gave a bit different perspective for, for all our research. But still, I think it's important to talk about it. And of course, it's important to see all the parallels uh, between the, the current situation, the possibility of, of Ukraine to uh, become a neutral country and do not seek um, uh, any military alignment. So let's start. Currently, we have several countries in Europe which are officially neutral. Such such as uh, Austria, Finland, Ireland, Sweden, Switzerland. And we have some other countries which are neutral outside of Europe, but uh, uh, the number of such countries are much less. So in, in your opinion, what, what, what is the main um, maybe historical perspective? Why more countries in Europe chosen this kind of neutrality st status and why it's not so broadly popular outside of, of Europe? Well, the question of popularity is one thing, and it really is another thing whether a country is able to uh, uphold a neutral stance. I mean, if we look at just one very obvious example, it's Belgium, which had um, declared neutrality twice, and both in the First World War and the Second World War, its neutrality was violated and the country invaded in uh, very brutal, swift manners. So what is important if a country is able to uphold uh, this stance and of course it needs a lot of different factors which all together can contribute to uh, the success of neutrality. Now I believe that uh, there's a lot of countries that would think that neutrality is something that's appealing because um, by looking at some of the historical examples it looks like a very promising and um, safe thing to do in the long run but they also know that in the current geopolitical atmosphere they would not be able to uphold such such an enterprise even if they try to and by the promising examples i guess you understand mainly switzerland M mainly switzerland yes switzerland is the most successful example the most desirable model i think in the whole world but it's also the most difficult one to replicate it's almost impossible to replicate to the whole extent of swiss neutrality because um, i think as you all well know it has a very long historical tradition which no other country in europe or in the larger world has yes and most countries i looked at during our research project i also uh, saw that uh, international guarantees are very important in upholding uh, neutrality because, uh, for example, also Spain declared its uh, neutrality during the Second World War. Obviously, that was uh, because of economic weakness and because of the civil war uh, that they uh, felt that they could not manage a war situation. But also, they were in the position to do that 
from one perspective, they were um, they had uh, very strong economic ties, uh, both to the Allied uh, powers and uh, uh, Germany too. And also, it was uh, on the Iberian Peninsula. It was not a strategic position in Europe to hold for um, either sides. And uh, that is why they managed uh, to to uphold it. But then when the Cold War started, um, they had to choose one one side. And most countries had to choose one side during the Cold War, either uh, the USA or the Soviet Union, the Western or the Eastern Bloc. Spain chose the Western Bloc. Um, and also, uh, if we uh, take a look at Yugoslavia, for example, that also was uh, a, a key member of the non-aligned movement but when in the 1970s uh, they they encountered a stronger Soviet Union when they uh, felt like they could not deviate from a Soviet um, standing they they had to align more their positions to to the Soviet Union so uh, in my opinion the most important thing in uh, securing a permanent non-alignment for a country is our international uh, guarantees. And maybe another thing, if I could add from the example of Sweden, I just want to refer what just funny said that uh, Sweden could manage to to be neutral, non-aligned during the Cold War, but it's just because it uphold a very strong and very, very great uh, arm capacity. It has an army more than uh, 800,000 soldiers and with the fourth uh, strongest uh, air force in that time so it's also something which could which could add and which could guarantee the the neutrality of a country a strong army and the capacity of self defense and if we, if we if you look into european examples uh, i probably all all of them uh, the countries which are stated neutral they have big armies right um, do we have examples of a neutral demilitarized demilitarized country because that's what actually russia wants ukraine to become a demilitarized country uh, and at the same time a neutral country are there any examples international examples for such i don't think so from the historical uh, perspective uh, also, for example, Turkey during the Second World War, they had capacities, but they just didn't want to use them because they wanted to avoid a defeat like the one in the First World War. Uh, as a result, they didn't use their armed capacities. In the Second World War, only when it was clear by uh, 1944-1945 that uh, it was a good uh, strategy to align with uh, the US and then they started to um, uh, to operate some uh, warships on the Mediterranean but uh, they had uh, armed capacities too and uh, Iran if I can uh, uh, keep to the second world war examples uh, it didn't have a very strong military capacity but it was in a strategic position and as a result both the Soviet Union and the British uh, occupied its territory so um they couldn't remain neutrals in the conflict because they couldn't uh, defend their own territories. And I just wanted to add that we could see now uh, in the in the war in Ukraine that international agreements and, and accords 
are not meaning too much when it comes to security of a state. So I would say only a guarantee or guarantees from other great powers for a country uh, to to defend it uh, if it if it uh, become neutral. But it, it, if that uh, country didn't hold an, an army to defend itself, it's it's not it's not enough. Yes, we have one example. Actually, it is Costa Rica, Costa Rica. which uh, which you know had um, had suffered a very bloody civil war in 1948, I think, and uh, subsequently established its neutrality in uh, 1940 constitution, which also uh, demilitarized the country. So Costa Rica doesn't have any kind of armed forces at the moment. They have a police force, but no armed forces, and they entirely rely on the international community's uh, recognition of its neutrality but also costa rica has a certain geographical location which ukraine does not possess ukraine is um, between the nato countries and russia and um, that puts uh, ukraine into far more dangerous position in this manner so uh, concluding what we were talking before um, my next question goes to well for for some countries being neutral is it a question of survival or it's a question of conscious uh, strategy what do you think we we can of course we can mention the example of finland which just couldn't become part of because they didn't want to be part of soviet union and they just couldn't allow themselves uh, to become part of of western uh, alignment system because uh, they were in fear that that soviet union would attack them so that's why they chose some they have chosen um, yeah, to be neutral. So, what, what, what do you think in, in in examples what we have mainly in Europe? How how conscious was this uh, this strategy, or it was more of something inevitable to to just keep the country safe and alive? Talking about Sweden specifically, specifically uh, for Sweden, the policy of neutrality came from a real political realization that the country's capacity and geopolitical position has gives no other option than to become neutrality to avoid uh, wars in in the territory of Sweden uh, wars between the the two poles uh, Europe and and Russia so it was it was a very pragmatical uh, option and a very pragmatical choose for Sweden and i have to say that it it paid off because Sweden managed to to stay out both of the world wars and and it could remain uh, neutral during the Cold War too, just as I mentioned. Yeah, in the examples I looked at, it was purely um, national interest that um, triggered a uh, declaration of non-alignment, uh, both in the First and the Second World War. Um, for example, in the case of... Um, of Spain, it was because of the economic weakness and also because they didn't want to uh, get involved in an international war situation after the civil war. In uh, Turkey's case, in the Second World War, it was because they uh, realized uh, how important it was to remain neutral until a clear winner is uh, visible. Uh, in the case uh, of Iran, they also uh, didn't, uh, didn't want to get involved. Uh, in the conflict, it was not um, based on uh, conscience or was not based on uh, ideology. Maybe in the case of Yugoslavia, 
uh, in in Tito's perception. Uh, maybe it was a bit uh, ideology, but I would say that even that was out of interest uh, because he uh, wanted to manage his country on on his own. He didn't want um, Moscow to dictate what to do in Yugoslavia. But um, in the meantime, it was also an ideological difference uh, between his um, way of thinking and way of seeing things than that of Stalin. Um, so maybe in the case of Yugoslavia, there was a bit of, of uh, ideology behind it. But in the other examples, there was not. And in the case of Switzerland, when it started, it was purely strategic. It, it, um, Switzerland first established a unilateral uh, policy of neutrality in the early uh, 16th century. So it's, it's been uh, more than five centuries of Swiss neutrality and in those times it was more like a strategic tool of keeping the very different cantons together that made up the uh, confederacy, the Swiss confederacy, on their road together to uh, independence from the Holy Roman Empire. And then during the centuries that followed, it was always been a strategic uh, factor to um, become sort of a strong economic outpost in the um, middle of Europe, which whose economic power would have only suffered if uh, they would have engaged in the major European wars. But then in the 20th century, especially during the Second World War, it has become a very serious uh, survival policy, especially after uh, the Third Reich, Germany had all but uh, encompassed almost the whole of Europe and Switzerland remained the only uh, democratic island in the middle the of safe the... Space. The only safe space in the middle of uh, uh, the, the Nazi-occupied uh, continent. So in that, in that regard, they had to do everything they could to um, survive. Because even though uh, Switzerland had kept a formidable armed force and had presented a very uh, serious um, armed deterrence position, it would, ha would have not survived Nazi invasion. So that's why Switzerland had kept up all the um, trading, trade relations with Axis powers and also paid attention to, um, to stay neutral in every kind of fields of international relations. For example, they, they meticulously crafted this policy of maintaining the same trading volume with both the Axis and Allied powers. Also, um, giving humanitarian assistance to both sides of the war, protecting their uh, government officials, government representatives, protecting their wealth, their banks, allowing them to, to meet on Swiss soil, to transfer arms through Swiss soil. And basically, that's what kept them free and that's what made them survive the war and made Swiss neutrality survive the war. Let's go into the next interesting questions. Are the neutral countries are really neutral. How could you measure uh, <laughs> the reality of, of the neutrality? Like uh, in the uh, situation of, let's say, Sweden or Austria, these countries are, are part of European Union. They have certain obligations towards their uh, allies. I believe they also share some 
military information uh, between them so, them so it's uh, it's kind of an interesting questions uh, what is the the measurement of neutrality and uh, are all these neutral countries could be really called neutral this is a very interesting and um, never ending debate i would say in case of all neutral countries and to varying degrees in case of even Switzerland. But yeah, many people argue that there are no really neutral countries. If we uh, if we look at Sweden, it's it's neutral, but rhetorically it has really aligned with its, uh, itself with uh, NATO powers. If um, yeah, take the example, the very recent example of uh, Switzerland, because right now this is a, a very... Um, loud ongoing debate politically in Switzerland because um, for a lot of people both domestically and internationally it seems that Switzerland has given up on its 500 years old tradition of being completely neutral. For example, Switzerland uh, also imposed sanctions against yeah, Russia. They, right? Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. They have signed up on all the sanctions the uh, European Union imposed on Russia. They have um, closed down the uh, Swiss airplace, uh, airspace, airspace for uh, yes. Russians. They have frozen the Russian oligarch's asset in uh, Fris- uh, Switzerland. They have imposed travel bans on uh, uh, certain people and representatives of companies close to Vladimir Putin. And this had come with quite a shock to both the international and domestic community because um, it, it, it seems that something is changing in Switzerland. Um, there were many demonstrations in the first week of the war um, inside the country, asking the uh, government to join in the European Union sanctions. But these demonstra- demonstrations have uh, mostly come to the political left, by the political right, conservative forces, conservative parties in the country still advocate for uh, keeping the old neutral customs. And um, it seems that this uh, Ukrainian-Russian war is might be the biggest challenge um, uh, Swiss neutrality had to face, at least in the last 80 years. We don't really know uh, if Switzerland can be um, can be thought of as neutral still. As, in, as was in the old days, uh, Swiss government officials insist that uh, this recent move did not violate uh, its neutral stance, but many of the opposing parties say that it did many uh, many experts in the international community say that it it's um, it is a serious deviation from what we have experienced in the past and it can also be related to uh, isolation from the international community right because um, uh, many countries chose to give up neutrality during history because they felt they were isolated from the international community they did not belong to any community of countries. Um, For example, in in the case of Spain uh, in the 1950s, it was a a concrete decision they made that they had to align themselves uh, in order to um, not to be isolated, uh, both economically and uh, politically. Um, And also there is another thing 
that uh, the non-aligned movement itself was created and advocated for uh, by Tito and was joined um, uh, by Yugoslavia because they felt that they had to somehow build a different community, different from the Western bloc, different from the Eastern bloc, because they didn't want to just hang in the balance there. Um, and another very um, interesting thing um, because many countries that claim uh, neutrality in Europe are also part of the European Union. And uh, in the European Union, there is uh, the, for example, the common security and defense policy, which is clearly, which clearly has a military aspect. And also in the Lisbon Treaty, uh, there's the mutual assistance clause and the solidarity clause. Of course, countries can choose to opt out from uh, these clauses and also not to uh, participate in, in um, um, foreign missions and operations. Um, and, um, but there are some um, neutral countries that um, in, in uh, peacekeeping missions, they participate and also uh, want to um, be part of uh, PESCO, the, the, um, the EU uh, created as a, as a military cooperation. So um, it is a question for the next couple of years, I think, whether um, and how the EU will evolve in, in this um, uh, aspect, uh, whether these countries can uphold their neutrality in the long run. Yes, what I just learned from the example of, of Sweden is that neutrality can be interpreted in a very flexible way and in accordance with the, with the countries. Uh, current uh, interests so just briefly in, in the example of Sweden gives us this this uh, flexible interpretation as, as Sweden is part of the EU uh, it, it become part of the EU because it's solely based on economic economical benefits but we all know now the spillover effects of the European Union and it in its it's continuously became more and more a defense union as well, which Sweden is not likely likely to to stay away from it. So, or talking about the NATO, Sweden is shows even more willingness to participate to participate in NATO's foreign missions than NATO countries themselves. So, and Sweden has very close ties with the NATO's, very close cooperation with the NATO and, and some some experts say that in case of a war, in case of a, of a European war or a war that uh, would broke out between the NATO and, and another non-NATO uh, country or bloc, Sweden would become a NATO member immediately. Or definitely would, would fight on the side of, of the NATO, right? I guess. Yeah, sure. I also think this is very important. It's, it's funny, and David said that ever since Maastricht, the European Union has been on a course of uh, ever-growing uh, integration. And this, of course, also spills into the security issues. So if this course of integration, this, this process continues in the future, countries like Austria, Ireland, Sweden will, will uh, most certainly have to choose, uh, even openly, rhetorically, if they, um, if they remain connected to the European Union's integrationist process or they, or they remain neutral. Because 
one aspect of neutrality that's very important is is credibility. It can only work as a deterrence if the international uh, community believes that you will remain neutral in in case of conflict. So if if these countries' credibility suffers a blow and a blow after a blow with each each new step of uh, European integration, then they will have to choose and decide and might have to drop neutrality altogether, yes. I would say maybe the neutrality would become only a tradition for these countries, only a, a part of their history, only a kind of an identity, but not something which will uh, determine its, uh, its foreign policy anymore. So these kind of integrations, the NATO, the EU, will surely erode and hollow the the neutrality and it's also important what you are saying that the credibility and international recognition is very important in case of neutrality because we know a lot of countries which state in their constitution that they are neutral but but they are not just an obvious example kazakhstan <laughs> it uh, in the constitution it says that the country is neutral but at the same time it is part of a russia led military bloc cstu and um, and there are many other examples which can on the paper they state uh, neutrality but at the same time everybody knows that uh, these countries in case of uh, a military conflict they have it, their allies uh, which uh, they will work with, work with, and in this regard, I think Sweden is also an interesting case because, uh, in a way, it's uh, well internationally Sweden's uh, neutrality is kind of recognized, but at the same time, the credibility of the neutrality is not really um, standing right. And well. I have two more questions left. Uh, we definitely have to speak about uh, why countries are choosing neutrality and why not. And countries are joining different military alliances because they want uh, safety. They want to defend, protect themselves from other uh, international players. But in case of neutral countries, what are the guarantees that they will stay out of a possible conflict. How can the country itself and the international community guarantee that uh, in case of a real true neutrality, the country would be left out of, of any possible conflicts? It depends on the situation, in my opinion. So uh, if a country is in a geopolitically important and crucial position in a war situation, uh, then if necessity comes, uh, to involve its territory into the war, then uh, belligerent parties, I think, in history, uh, took the opportunity to use that, uh, that territory. Uh, take the example of Iran, for example. But um, also there, there are uh, economic realities uh, to upholding uh, neutrality. Uh, for example, as I said, the case of Spain in the Second World War, uh, Spain was um, a very important uh, trade partner uh, in the war. It was a major supplier both for uh, Germany and uh, the uh, United Kingdom. So uh, it was a silent understanding uh, of, of these two uh, belligerent uh, parties that Spain was uh, crucial for both of them. And as its territory was not in the middle of fighting, uh, they uh, preferred to keep up. Um, trade relations and not to um, um, degrade its economy. 
the other aspect, in my opinion, is a political one. So it also uh, depends on the current um, leadership of a country, whether in case of, um, of a military conflict, a neutral country upholds its neutrality um, because... Um, um, because they have to assess a lot of things. Uh, of course, if it's enshrined in the constitution, then it's a bit um, uh, more difficult to, to deviate from, from neutrality. But as many cases uh, showed, there were situations when the leadership of, the, of a country saw it best to, uh, whether in, in the end of a conflict uh, or when uh, they felt uh, threatened by, by uh, one of the, of the powers participating in the war, they fled to the other side only to um, save their um, um, sovereignty and territorial integrity. Do you want to add anything, maybe? Yes, of course. I mean, during this project, we've all been um, thinking about how a neutral stance could benefit or how could it be uh, developed in case of Ukraine. And just by looking at... Who could provide guarantees for Ukraine that Russia won't attack it in the future, right? Yes, yes. What are the factors that could make Ukraine, um, Ukraine's neutral stance uh, an effective uh, safeguard in the future as well. So if 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 we look at uh, other examples and the most successful one, Switzerland, we see that it has built on a number of different components. It's it's uh, neutrality. One is negative neutrality, which uh, means all the factors of uh, of the armed deterrence, a, a formidable army, certain very ingenious defensive measures, also a um, the proliferation of some kind of military resistance as part of the national culture. I don't think this this part, negative neutrality, um, can be effectively deployed in the case of Ukraine because right now it is fighting a war and its resources are seriously depleting. Also, I don't think the uh, people of Ukraine would really like to um, live in sort of a militaristic culture in the next couple of decades. I think they have seen enough of these terrible war. But the other component in the case of Switzerland, which is positive neutrality, means a collection of system-wide uh, diplomatic and economic benefits, which I think could be a very good start in the case of Ukraine. It means you know, the um, protection of diplomats, a safe um, meeting ground for outside powers, a home for international organizations. And this could be a, a, a very important first step, maybe establishing the headquarters of OSCE, just for example, in Kiev, which would, which would make the whole country sort of elevate its diplomatic position in the eyes of the international community. So um, in, in any case, international recognition would be the first, and then with um, then the reinforcement of this recognition as 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 a norm in the minds of uh, the people, both domestically and internationally, through the use of uh, symbolic gestures like international organizations, their presence, their uh, and uh, and the benefits uh, this neutral stance can offer to all outside powers. My very last question: What happens 
if a country which previously was a neutral country all of a sudden changed its neutrality to uh, some kind of military alliance after all the decades uh, when it stated that it's neutral neutral and then all of a sudden this kind of situation changes and we see such options or possibilities in case of Sweden and Finland which after uh, the Russian aggression against Ukraine started all of a sudden to discuss well they, they discussed it in 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 the society previously as well but the society was still uh, more on the side of neutrality and all of a sudden the question of joining the NATO became uh, much more popular so that there is a real chance that for example Finland won't be a neutral country anymore or Sweden won't be a neutral country anymore what what will happen in this in case of these countries won't it uh, escalate the situation between let's say Russia and these countries how how will it uh, help or on, on the contrary uh, may make the relations of, of, of these countries uh, with other international players harder? It's a good question. I, I just can talk about Sweden. As as I mentioned, the, the last factor indicating Sweden's neutrality and non-alignment is the fact that it has not joined NATO yet. It's the only thing. <laughs> uh, but it, as just as I mentioned, it has uh, it has joined programs uh, with the NATO. It allows the NATO to maneuvering in its territory. It has uh, joined NATO capacities, and and uh, Sweden just as integrated and interoperable with the NATO as possible. And I think this is because there, in case of uh, of an of an attack or war, just we witnessed. Uh, in the case of, of Ukraine, the country could, could Im- immediately join to the NATO. And I, I think in the case of Sweden, it won't be a big change. It, it won't be something that is surprising or, it, it, or which is a, a whole turn away from its former foreign policy because it will be... So you're saying that Sweden is just uh, like a NATO country in cover? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say Sweden just used uh, neutrality as a disguise of its of its uh, kind of a NATO, not membership, but yeah, a very very close partner and friend of the NATO. And just one more thing, what you what you related to that positive public opinion on joining to the NATO on in Sweden changed significantly uh, in in this year, in February, as the Russian uh, invasion uh, started on Ukraine. And it's very likely that Sweden would would join to the NATO. The positive public opinion the country has never seen before. Finland uh, has a a different position in this debate, I think, because um, it has been contemplating joining the NATO since 2014. Um, And it would... uh, disrupt a bit more the system because the the term Finlandization is is already an accepted concept for a country that in its foreign policy um, aligns a bit more to allied more to the Soviet Union now to to Russia uh, and in economic relations it could keep with the West um, and if Finland joined NATO, I think that would um, pose some 
problems for um, for Russia, uh, and um, and it would be a more um, difficult decision for Finland than what it would be for Sweden. Um, but um, Finland already joined um, different partnerships with NATO and cooperates with NATO uh, without any specific concern um, from uh, from Russia. But as I said, everything depends on everything in this international system and it, it depends on where a country is located because Finland is located... Um, also um, very close to Russia, very close to the NATO. Therefore, uh, it is in this um, neutral land between between these two uh, forces. Um, while if, Like Ukraine. Like Ukraine. And uh, if uh, we mentioned uh, Costa Rica before, if Costa Rica decided to join NATO, no one would uh, care very much because it's not in a very strategic position. It's uh, on the American continent. Um, uh, but in Europe, there is um, an elevated stake for uh, for these decisions. Well, thank you very much. Let me thank once again uh, Fanny Korpic, David Nagy, Tomas Orban for your time, for being here. And uh, please, well, follow our podcasts on uh, Anchor and basically on every platform, Spotify, Google Podcasts and iTunes as well. Please uh, read us on danubinstitute.hu and follow also our social platforms. We are basically everywhere. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.